Welcome to The Storytellers, the radio show and podcast that features those who choose to leave their mark on the world through the art of story. I'm your host, Grace Salmon. I look forward to our time together today. Now, let's meet our storyteller. Sarah Richards is an award-winning mystery writer and a children's book author. Before fulfilling her lifelong dream of becoming an author, she was an educator in the area of urban high schools, where she was a teacher, administrator, and school improvement facilitator. Sarah Lynn's humor and romance-laced mysteries are wonderful reads that I'm so eager to share with you today, as well as her children's book. All of her settings pull back the curtain on unique places such as wonderful, lavish, manor houses in the beautiful countryside, and also as diverse as urban school settings where the challenges meeting people in those communities are really amazing. She is a member of the International Thriller Writers and Mystery Writers of America. It is a joy to welcome to the storytelling microphone, Sarah Richard. Hello, Sarah Hi, Grace. Thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled to have you. Just to be totally open, you and I met probably decades ago now. Mm -hmm. And I met you in an urban setting outside of Chicago, where I was a consultant and you were an amazing administrator. I then got to know you and your work as a school improvement facilitator, and we worked across the country together. But I never knew that you were dying to be a storyteller. Where did that come from? Well, I've always loved stories. I've been reading since I was two. And I, I've been an avid reader uh, my whole life. I mean, like thousands of books. And I've always wanted to throw my hat in the ring and tell some stories myself. And when I was in high school, I had some teachers who kind of plucked my writing out and said, you you have talent for writing, you should become a writer. And that fired me up. And I came home and told my parents, I'm going to be a writer. And they said, No, you're not going to be a writer. That's a real job. So uh, they said, you, you can always write as a hobby, but you have to find something else to do. So they suggested education and I acceded to their wishes really reluctantly. I didn't want to give up that dream. But once I started teaching, and especially when I was in front of a class student teaching, I just fell in love with teaching. Because there are great stories in teaching. Um, there are great connections that you make with people that you would never know if you weren't in the same classroom. And as I spent my career teaching and then in administration, I just collected stories along the way. And, and so many people live in my mind and in my heart that I'll never run out of material to write about. That's something I'm always amazed at with you. But, and before we go there, I think schools are such microcosms that mm -hmm. they are just fodder for wonderful storytelling. Mm -hmm. And we can talk a little bit about one of those books as well. But you never seem to run out of stories. You are so prolific. Is it just inbred in you? I'm a people person. Mm -hmm. And so I love people. And I 
I know a lot of people and I have have known a lot of people in circumstances where they were in crisis or conflict of some kind. And I either helped them or witnessed them overcome obstacles. Um, I, I've just been part of a lot of families who have struggled with things. And that has, has built a, a reservoir of stories in my in my mind and i i will never run out i just i'll run out of time before i'll run out of stories i think that's fabulous i don't ever want you to run out of time but i love that you're not going to run out of stories let's talk a little bit about genre i am fascinated by the genre of mystery and a little bit now of sci-fi and some things that i didn't normally gravitate to why are you so solidly grounded in mystery I wouldn't say that I am, okay. uh, you know, I, I am a very eclectic reader. I think mystery is my favorite go-to genre for um, something light, something um, interesting, something, a fast read, an entertaining read. Um, I love mystery because it challenges the mind. It's an intellectual puzzle. But it also challenges the heart with an emotional puzzle. And I, I love the blending of different elements in literature. And, and mystery can be anything. It can be comic. It can be humorous. It can be romantic. It can be historical. It can be women's fiction. I mean, there's, there are lots of opportunities to blend. It can even blend with nonfiction. And a, one of my favorite writers does that very well, and that's Eric Larson. So a lot of his yeah. nonfiction books read like mysteries, and they have all of the tools of mystery. Um, but they're nonfiction. They're, you know, on their nonfiction shelf. And right. I, I think that most of today's books have elements that are blended. Um, yes, they have a, a place on the shelf in a certain genre, but if you read them, you'll see elements of different kinds of genres in almost everything that comes out today. So you also have written a wonderful children's book, which I have bought for my grandchildren. And are there common themes across your books and even with the children's books that you try to get across? <laughs> There's a mystery in the children's book. Mm -hmm. Something is missing and somebody has stolen it or taken it. And even though the children's book is, you know, just a few pages and it's a picture book. So not that many words, uh, but a good part of the plot of that book is discovering where are those missing things and who took them. So, Yes, you know. And the name of that book is Naughty Nana, right. who's based on your own fabulous sheepdog. Right. Who is also my muse. She sits underneath my desk when I'm writing. I, I often have my feet on her. And she, if I'm trying to work out a plot point or something, I'll talk to her. And I'll say, what do you think about this, Nana? And, you know, she inspires me. That's wonderful. So tell us a little bit about your books that are already out. And then I really want to hear about 
your new one that's coming out next month, I think. In two weeks. So, yes, very exciting. And I actually have the free copies for it now. Ooh. Oh, I, I love your cover. That. Thank you. Thank you. It's so I love exciting it. when they actually come and show up. Yeah. yeah. March 9th is when they're being released, but somehow I got them yesterday. So I'm excited about that. Congratulations. So thanks. Well, uh, the first mysteries I wrote were part of the Detective Parrot mystery series. And when I wrote the first one, which is Murder in the 1%, um, I really didn't have an idea that that would turn into a series. Um, it's That's the book that's set in the very elite countryside outside of Philadelphia known as Brandywine Valley. And some very, very rich and powerful Americans live there, even today. And I was visiting there once for a birthday party and decided that that would be a great place to set a murder mystery because it's the last place on earth that you would imagine a murder to take place. And it's so, such a great book. It's, it's the first book that I read of yours and I just enjoyed every page. Thank you so much. And it, and it was really a fun write, you know? So when I wrote it, I had no idea that the detective was going to catch on fire with readers, but I had tons of readers say, what is Parrot going to do next? We want more of Parrot. And I was like, well, I guess I could give you more of Parrot. Uh -huh. And so that's how that series was born. Um, and so there are two books in the series, uh, Murder in the 1% and also A Palette for Love and Murder. Mm -hmm. Those two books are being rebranded and the new versions of those books will be coming out very soon too. So I'm so, I'm so glad about that. Um, I yeah. fell in love with him as well. Yeah. So. And, I'm, and my current work in progress is the third Detective Parrot book. And that will be coming out in August. Is so, it easier or harder to write a series? Well, some parts are easier because you already have your characters or some of your characters in your mind in place. You know them inside and out. So it's easy to put words in their mouth and it's easy to see how they would behave in new circumstances. Mm -hmm. And so that part is easier. Um, but there are some hard parts about it too, because you want your new reader who's, who may be coming to this new book cold, um, without having read the previous books, you want them to be able to follow the entire story. So you can't really refer to, uh, inside jokes or things that come right. from the previous books. Um, and you don't want to give spoilers of the previous books because, somebody you're hoping that somebody will go back and read your backlist. So those are some difficulties. Um, and then there are also things that you learn from having the book out. You get some feedback from critics or, or reviewers, and there are certain things that you might want to change, but you can't because they're already in print and they're already established. I mean, it, it could be something as simple as a name of a character. You might want to change their name, but you can't. Can you do that in the rebranding that you're doing? Uh, not really. Okay. Not really. 
So there are some things that are, you know, etched in stone that may be confining for you as a writer, mm -hmm. or maybe not. Maybe you can just easily skirt those issues. Tell us about your new book, because I, I haven't gotten any even inkling into this one yet. I will, but don't let me forget to tell about A Murder of Principle, too. One uh, of my favorites, yeah. because we both spent so much time in high school. So go ahead. Tell us about A Murder of Principle. Oh, okay. Um, A Murder of Principle flips the setting, completely flips it. So instead of a very wealthy elite setting, we go to a very underprivileged setting, which is an urban high school. And of course, that's a setting I'm very familiar with. I spent a couple of decades there. And, uh, and that book, I had very little research to do because I've lived it. And, and I continue to live it because I'm still connected to the different schools that I worked in, which are all over the country because I was teaching in underprivileged schools. Then I was an administrator and then I was a school improvement consultant. So I've probably been to close to 60 or 80 uh, urban high schools and had some significant experiences there. So I wrote that book a lot from experience, but it's still, at the heart of it, it's still a murder mystery. It's not nonfiction. It's not an expose of what goes on in high schools. It's still a fun story that's just set in a, a very authentic place. So that's it's, it's, it certainly brought me back to my years of working in high school. So yeah. I think that anybody who's ever uh, worked in a high school would particularly enjoy it. So now tell us about Bad Blood Sisters. Okay. Bad Blood Sisters is different from all of my other books because I was challenging myself to write from a single point of view. Uh, none of my books are like that. Mysteries are particularly hard to write from a single point of view because you have clues and things that come from different people. Um, different people have knowledge of what's happened in the crime, what clues there are. Some people know everything. Some people know nothing. Some people know some things that other people don't know. And so all of that is part of plotting out an effective mystery. And I thought, you know, I would love to be able to get into just one person's head, but that would be a real challenge if you're going to write a mystery. And I thought I'm up to this challenge. And so I, I started with my character who is Quinn McFarland and she is about to turn 30 and she works in what you might think is an unusual business. It's a funeral home which is uh, her family business. Her grandparents had this business, her parents, and now she works in the funeral home. Uh, it's really not an unusual business. We just, as a society, we generally don't want to go there and, and think about that being an ordinary business, but it is. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. And uh, I had done some research with my other books because people die in mysteries. And so there are funerals and I have made friends with a, a number of resource people who work in the funeral business. And I was really struck by how real and genuine these people are and how their attitude towards death or murder is somewhat different from the average person's attitude towards death or murder. And sometimes they just joke about it. Maybe it's a defense mechanism, but they just joke about it. So Quinn and her family um, often joke about death. Uh, They don't do it in front of customers, but behind the scenes, they make some jokes about death. They're kind of take it lightly. And, So this summer, when the story begins, Quinn finds that she can't joke about death anymore because she's in the mortuary and a body is brought in and the body is her former best friend. Oh, my. And the two of them have been blood sisters. I don't know if you're familiar with the the ritual of mixing blood. Oh, yes. So uh, they were blood sisters and they were best friends. And there was a situation that caused them to be traumatized and to keep a very deep, dark secret between them. And then there was a situation that caused them to be estranged. So they've been estranged for a number of years. And suddenly this BFF comes in. And she's been bludgeoned to death. So Quinn has to deal with a lot of regret and maybe guilt and memories and um, revisit some of the things that caused them to be estranged. And um, she is, uh, Anna's death sends Quinn into a very, very dangerous position because that secret that they had, now Quinn is the only person who knows that secret. And and so, so, so the secret has bearing on Anna's murder and it has bearing on this previous traumatic event. And now Quinn is, um, stuck between should she reveal the secret? Should she do her own investigations? Is she in danger? Is she a suspect in Anna's murder? There are so many levels at which Quinn is, you know, in a precarious position. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this read as I, as I do all your others. And when I say I'm looking forward to your, this read, one of the things I find most appealing about you on social media and in the other ways that I observe you is that you are very connected to readers. Obviously all of those of us who are authors want readers, want reviews, etc. But you are very reader focused. Your newsletter asks people about the cover designs and the characters. Why is that so distinct for you and I don't get that necessarily from some of the other authors that reader focus 
I think it goes back to what I said earlier that I'm a real people person. Um, and so I like to, I like to hear from readers. I like to connect with readers. It's my very favorite thing about being an author and writing can be very isolating and, and, um, that's not a job that I like to be isolated and disconnected from people. I like to be out like in the schools mm -hmm. and, and know, meeting people, talking to people, hearing what they have to say. And I also believe that when a book is published, when a book's being written, it belongs to the author. But when the book is published, it no longer belongs to the author. It belongs to the reader. So whatever the reader finds in that book, no, however the reader takes something, if, you can't say they've taken it the wrong way because what that book means to them is right for them. Yes. So it, it's now their book. And if I it, love moves, that. it moves them, it, if it moves them, if it convinces them, if it uh, consoles them, if it inspires them, that's what I want to do with my books. Um, oh, I, I love that. And I, I love that the book then belongs to them. Amazingly, we are out of time. We're going to need to have you come back after, uh, maybe after your book comes out in August, and we can talk about all the books. And I just want to ask you, as we begin to wrap up, is there something quirky or different? What about about you might your readers not find on your website or somewhere else? I, I think what's different about me is that it doesn't matter to me whether I'm writing about rich people or poor people, black people or white people, people of any kind of sexual orientation, religion, whatever kind of people I'm writing about, they're very real to me. They're, they're here in my heart. And, um, I just, I, I love all of my characters. They're very much alive for me. And I don't see any barriers in writing. I don't want there to be barriers. I want to be able to go where the characters are. And I know that um, we're going to have more of you in the future. And I want to encourage everyone who is listening to check out uh, Sarah Lynn Richard and all of her books. You've been a wonderful guest here on The Storyteller, Sarah Lynn. And I just want to say that this is a copyrighted episode of The Storytellers by Grace Salmon and Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks so much. That concludes this episode of The Storytellers. I'm so glad you could be part of the story today. I hope you share the stories, tell your own, and come back for another episode. Because when our stories are told, everything changes. I'm Grace Salmon.